Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Drexel Basketball Podcast. I'm Nate, and then I've got Dan with me. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you, Nate? Good. Yeah, Dan was able to make it. He, he listened to my advice to give his kid whiskey to help her go to sleep. Uh, I'm just kidding, but uh, maybe if she doesn't, you could give that a try. What do you think? We have never had more sobriety on this podcast than we have tonight with you and Jesse here, so I'm not too worried about that. That's good. I used to have parents talk about using it for teething. I, I kind of just cringed when I heard that, but but anyway, so... Uh, but so we have a special guest tonight and coming from the NASCAR world. And I just ask everybody to bear with us here. I know, you know, growing up, it was always when NASCAR is just cars going around and around in circles. And, um, you know, you're, I think you're going to find out. Uh, and that's why we have somebody on, on definitely the technical and engineering side of things. Uh, you're going to find out that that's not the case. So you, you take that extra time to learn about something. And I'm not saying people are going to walk out of here NASCAR fans, but maybe you have a personal connection to uh, from this, and maybe you uh, tune in a little bit next year once uh, things get started with the, the Daytona 500 in February. So, um, so we have tonight Jesse Zanellini with us. Jesse, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Glad I could glad I could be a part of it. You know, uh, this this came from the summertime, and as we were thinking about the season different types of guests that we wanted to have on. And Dan, I forget in what way it came up, but we were like, let's have notable DAC pack alums. And I mean, the first thing that popped into my head was having, you know, a prominent person in, I'm going to say prominent, you can argue with me, whatever, but somebody, a big part in a very successful NASCAR race team. And uh, so uh, Jesse works for Trackhouse Racing, which kind of a, a Cinderella type story in NASCAR this year, their, their first year uh, that that team and ran with all the big boys, uh, ended up finishing essentially second in the championship. And um, so they're no joke. I mean, they're a legit team. And at the center of everything is a Drexel alum and a Dak Pack alum, just like the rest of us. So right away, I was like, man, we, we want to talk to him and find out more about what he does. So uh, in fact, Jesse, can you give us a, kind of a, a really like a Reader's Digest version? Like what's your title with Trackhouse Racing and, and what do you do? Yeah, so... Um... I, my first, I, I graduated from Drexel with a mechanical engineering degree, a bachelor's. Um, and then um, now I work as a race engineer is my title. I'm actually currently the third race engineer um, for Ross Chastain's number one car. Um, the third race engineer is essentially the stay at the shop engineer. I don't travel to the races. I just support the team from the shop. So that's kind of where i'm at from uh from a high level is there maybe like a comparison you could make you know i i thought of like you know like an offensive coordinator or a position coach kind of thing but uh, or if we're doing basketball terms it's a basketball podcast any other position you could kind of relate it to um i would say maybe like from football like a quality control coach or maybe like a film room study coach that supports the team that um supports the guys who you see every day you know, that does the work in the background to give them the information to make the decisions they need to make. I remember, and Jesse was gracious enough to give us a little bit of a tour. We were down in Charlotte in May. And in some sense, I mean, so, I mean, you're right in there during the race, you know, kind of helping with, well, even beforehand setting up the car. So kind of like the game plan going into the, the race and then kind of the in-game adjustments. Would that be pretty accurate? Um, yeah, mostly my current position is um, to do a lot of, preparation for the race to get the car ready um get the information ready and then during the race i do a minimal support um a couple things i give them a couple documents and information during the race 
but mostly during the race, the first and second race engineer are the guys who are, are really doing that during the race. Like I said, I'm mostly car prep and, and getting everybody, getting all the stuff ready for them so they can do their job on Sunday. Yeah, this is a good time to mention the uh, the director of, uh, chief of staff, I think is what we're calling it, uh, Draxel, but Zach Spiker's got a chief of staff position. It's a coach that doesn't go on the road and recruit, but, he, you know, works on transfer portal, works on scheduling, you know, just generally make sure everything's in the right place at the right time and is, is kind of a key component to the staff. And, and that sounds eerily similar uh, in some ways to what Jess is talking about here. And Jesse, but you're a nice guy. I think you're being modest. And, and me, maybe I'm a nerdy NASCAR fan who's really excited to know someone in the nitty gritty like this. But I mean, for me, it's like, you know, if the car's not ready to go, you think, you know, different tracks, different track conditions and everything. I mean, you've got a really important job. I may not say that, but it is from an outsider's perspective. It's like, man, because when you show me with the stuff you do and, you know, trying to simulate the racetrack and all the things that you do to get the car ready, I mean, um, it's just really cool what you do day by day. Yeah, when I when I have to take a step back and, and look at what I actually do for a living, it is it is really cool that I'm I'm kind of living the dream of a lot of people. I get to work on race cars for a living, so that that's how I make ends meet by working on race cars. So so I'm I'm pretty fortunate in that that regard, um, and I'm fortunate that I work for the top series in the United States. It's kind of like the NFL or the NBA of racing. So um, I'm really fortunate to be to have my hands in that and have, have really a lot of responsibility in what, what you guys see on TV on Sundays. And not just everybody else's dream, but uh, uh, I'll say, you know, I, I had the, uh, the fortune of, of living with Jesse for a little bit in school. And uh, I can tell you, we had a, we had a sweet place at 30th and Hamilton and on the, uh, the mantle was a car hood. It was a, it was an NASCAR car hood. So it's, it's not just anybody's dream. It's Jesse's too. I think he's, he's, he's made it happen, which is very cool. And, and speaking of that, that you know, so and tell us where you're from and like when did you start following NASCAR and and what kind of got you even up to Drexel and wanted to to go there. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a little town called Sugarloaf, Pennsylvania. It's kind of close to Hazleton. I went to Hazleton Area High School, um, which if you go out a little further, Wilkes-Barre is more common. You'll find that um, more people know that. It's I'm about 20 minutes from Wilkes-Barre. Um, so I grew up in that little town. My dad owned an auto repair shop. So I grew up around cars my whole life, uh, working in the shop. Um, uh, my uncle owned a, a dirt modified race car to run on dirt tracks up, up at local tracks in Pennsylvania. So I got to be around that the whole time. Um, my, my middle brother, uh, raced, he was a driver and raced some of the dirt, dirt races. He raced go-karts and, some of the modified stuff and some micro sprints and other dirt tracks, even race four wheelers for a little bit. So I've been around racing my whole life. Um, and my oldest brother, when I was in high school, my oldest brother, who's actually 16 years older than me, so he's quite a bit older. But when I was in high school, he got a, he got a job with the NASCAR team and he got to, he worked in my dad's shop for the weekday, all weekdays, five days a week, and then jumped in his truck and drove to the, wherever the race was to, help the race team that weekend. Um, so he, he brought me along to a couple races um, when I was in high school, the ones that I could go to, the ones that were close enough that I can get back in time to go, go back to school on Mondays. Um, so that's kind of how it all started for me. I've been around it my whole life. What racetracks did you go to growing up? Um, I went to Pocono. Obviously, that's the, that's the closest one. Um, it's only about 30 minutes from where I grew up, and you know it's not far from Philly there. Um, 
I went to Dover. I went to Richmond, um, Watkins Glen, New York. Um, a couple of the closer ones are the ones that I that I went to um, with him to work. Um, my and my family and some of my family's friends actually had an RV that they would we would hop in there and go down and and be fans of the race, go watch the race, camp out for the weekend. We'd go to we'd go down to Richmond, we'd go to North Wilkesboro, we'd go to Martinsville, Virginia, um, some of the little further tracks, and to make a make a a fun weekend out of it in an RV. Um, so. Yeah, those are kind of the tracks I, I typically went to growing up. And even dirt track rides, where, where did you guys go up around? Uh, it was, yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, what do they call it. It was Mountain Speedway. I can't remember what it's called now, but the one up towards Hazel Asphalt Track. Did you guys go there? Funny thing is, that was about 10 minutes from my house, and I, I've only been there about three times. Um, right. Like I said, that was an asphalt track. Um, it actually, yeah, it's it was about 10 minutes from my house, and we, we, haven't, we didn't go there very often because I grew up um with dirt tracks so i went to, to grandview i went to um, big diamond and minersville big diamond and minersville is the one we typically went to a lot um my, in fact when i go home to visit my parents um i still go on friday nights with my dad we go down to big diamond and watch the races down there so mm-hmm. um that's that's kind of where we went yeah no, that's cool I, you know like and i bring that up too because i've i've started to really appreciate the smaller dirt tracks and grassroots and it's doing really well lots of people there were these modifieds or or what what i know they race modifieds but what kind of cars did you work on you know when you're growing up um yeah it was mostly uh uh big block modifieds um on the on the dirt was what my uncle had um and he had that and he sold it when i was just turning maybe 12 or so so i worked on it but i didn't really work on it you know so i I didn't really get a chance to to get in there because i was so young um, and, and my, my brother raced go-karts and stuff. I would help him out with the go-karts and, and some of the other, and the four wheelers stuff like that. Um, but I really didn't get to work on a race car, like where I was really doing something important because they, they all sold their stuff by the time I got old enough to, to really know what was going on. Um, but I still had that itch and, and inkling to, to try and get into it. Yeah. Now, who was your driver growing up? Who'd you root for? I was a Rusty Wallace fan growing up. <laughs> yeah, now a Dale Earnhardt guy, but yeah, and yeah, at Martinsville you see him. He, he does MRN stuff, and I mean, every year, two years in a row, I've seen him driving in, and everyone kind of crowds up his his truck and stuff like that. So it's neat to see him around. But but then why Drexel? What what pointed you in that direction? We'll turn this to a little uh, Drexel advertisement here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, obviously, like when I when I was growing up, I, I liked. I was into cars, uh, grew up around cars. Um, I, in school, in high school, I was always good in math, physics. I, I loved that kind of stuff. So naturally, I was like, I, I, I want to be an engineer. I want to work on a race car, see if I can put, you know, put the math, the, the real world stuff with the, rate, with the cars together, put it all together. Um, so looking at schools, you know, Drexel has a really good engineering program, um, drew me there. And the co-op from Drexel was really enticing. And that, that's kind of helped me make the decision to go there. All right, Dan, I'm going to shut up and listen. You want to go through the Drexel part of our show here? The Drexel part of our show, it's, it's a fun part for me. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's obviously where I met Jess. And, and, and um, uh, I guess you want to start up with just uh, – we'll, we'll talk about the backpack for me. We'll talk basketball for just a gif. But uh, I think we're, we're obligated to here at Dragon's Cast. So – um, what brought you over to the DAC? Was it, was it, uh, I mean, obviously we had a crew of friends that we knew in common. 
Um, but was had you always been a basketball fan? Yeah, growing growing up, I was a, I was a sports fan. I just like to watch any type of sports. Um, I would always go to our high school basketball games before I was in high school with my dad. Um, we'd all just we just go and watch the team. We'd always talk about who the players were, how you know how how they were doing. Um, so I always did that with my dad going to the games, um, and then coming to college. You know, for me at that time, that Philadelphia was a big city. You know, big city. Drexel had a, a big basketball program. I know it's in the grand scheme of things. You know, we're we're still trying to make it up there, but um, yeah, it, it was just like going to the games with the atmosphere. Um, being around friends, um, and then getting involved in the DAC pack where you're all, you all have the common goal, cheering on your team and just the camaraderie that the DAC pack provided. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll turn it around for a second. Just, you know, I think that, um, we, we, I think we, we had really a friend in common before we met through the DAC pack, but, um, that, that area, um, I, I wanted to sneak this in. I was going to sneak it in as the intro, but we went a different direction there, but, uh, you know, um, the, that, area of my life which is college early 20s wasn't like a highlight reel um but uh um i, I was um always appreciated the deck pack because you know with the deck pack you could just show up right you really didn't have anything else you just show up you're there you're accepted you're part of that and so the deck pack became a little bit of uh of a of a support system for me at that time and then um later on you know making the friends i made through that and, and meeting you uh jess and um your now wife, um, uh, two families um, who, who really took me in. Uh, I, I think uh, this is a special show for me just because um, uh, how important uh, the Zanellinis and, and Al extended family were, are to me and continue to be to me. And I don't know what you guys fully understand just, just what that meant at that time, but um, I'm, I'm excited to have you here to talk about NASCAR. I'm excited to have you here as a person and as a DAC pack member and the whole thing. And, and it's cool that we have this community, this DAC pack that um, you just show up, you just show up and you get that community of people like you in it. So very excited uh, to have you here tonight and to, to go into detail there. And, and um, I, I, we went on a couple trips in the DAC pack. I think you, you hit the road with us. Uh, in fact, you drove some of that. I remember that because I remember, and this is, this is a memory I don't think I've thought of in a decade, but you're, we were driving to, I want to say Richmond or something. William and Mary, is that the one with the couch? The couch was good. The couch in the middle of 95 was good. It might have been the same trip, but I just remember your left turn signal was out. And there's just, it was just such an easy joke to make about how you only make left, so of course that, that was out. Um, yeah, so, so you know, it was, a, it was a good time. Even back then, we were, we were making some NASCAR cracks. I was learning. I, I know everything I need to know. I, I know about NASCAR through you, which is why I don't know anything, Jess. Um, but hopefully by the end of this podcast, I'll have a clue. Um, so, so what was kind of, what was your road trip memory from being in the backpack? Cause I think that a trip, the camaraderie you get going on the road is, is kind of uh, the best part about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Some of those were, I didn't go on many road trips with you guys, but, but the few I did it, they were, they were a lot of fun. Um, like what I was alluding to earlier was when we were going down to William and Mary, we were driving down the road. It was dark. There's this truck in front of us with a couch strapped on the back. Next thing we know, like the couch falls off the truck and is spinning in front of us, and we have to swerve into the other lane. We're lucky there's not no other cars there, but I still remember that that couch spinning in front of me. I, I just can't forget it um, on the way, and you know we just laughed about it the whole time the rest the rest of the trip. Yeah, I remember how lucky I felt that it spun and it did like a complete like couple donuts just set of circles, but stayed in the exact same lane it fell on it. Like it didn't move to either lane. 
because we had no idea. You you know, you just kind of went one direction and got lucky. Yeah, yeah, we definitely got lucky there. But yeah, that, that's one of the memories. Um, another one, another memory are just just our we took a few trips down down to Delaware, um, and even to this day, like I just from the DAC pack. Whenever somebody says Delaware, whatever it mean, whatever their reference is, immediately I go sucks in my head. It just happens. It I, that, that doesn't go away. Um, so that <laughs> that stuck with me. Whatever their reference is, whenever I hear the word Delaware, sucks comes right after it. So um, that that rivalry was was pretty big back then, and uh, yeah, that just it stuck with me. I'll say a rivalry is probably part of what we're missing today, but it must make Dover Race Week pretty interesting for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I <laughs> I say sucks a lot that week. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, um, have you stayed? I mean, I know obviously you you, you went to Charlotte after you graduated, uh, pursued the dream, and, and have been successful with it. Uh, have you stayed connected to the university at all? Um, not not really as much as I would like. Just being down here, um, the first few years, I really tried to stay stay up with the basketball team, follow the team. Um, I think I even met you guys for one or two of the, when they came down and did the, the conference tournaments down in, in Richmond and stuff. Um, but, uh, but as the years gone on and as I, my family grew, you know, just, uh, I, I kind of grew, grew apart and it's just not being, being there and being around it. It was, it, it's hard to, to keep up from a distance. Um, but yeah. Well, we're trying to make it easier. We're trying to make it easier. I will note that that uh, the last time I saw you, uh, I th- at least at a basketball game was uh, at Davidson um, on that trip, and that was also uh, my most recent speeding ticket, which tells you that the state of state troopers here in PA are not doing their job. But that um, was uh, I got pegged le- leaving there in a rented Toyota Prius. It was a killer. Um, but I, you know, I, I barely I was I had to push that thing to get it to speed. Um, but yeah, it was that was a good time and a win, a win at Davidson, which was cool. Yeah, that was good. Uh, memory serves and and uh yeah that's it's cool and and you know hopefully we get the the program down there obviously with some expansion uh, nca and t joining the conference there's going to be a, a little bit more carolina influence so i have a chance to, to to make it out to a few more yeah maybe i'll be able to check one out all right nate uh you want to bring it I'll, I'll try to sit back and, and re- enjoy the racing talk and, and ask questions where i where i don't sound too dumb well that's it yeah, come to think of it, yeah, that, that works out well for you. I know a lot of people complain about North Carolina schools, but yeah, it lines up along I-4. I mean, you're busy. It's hard for you to get to different places, but having us try to establish down there is for the, you know, maybe five Drexel alums in that area, that'll be kind of nice. So Yeah, yeah, it way. could it'd give us an opportunity to, to, to stay with it, stay caught up. Yeah. Now, when I was at Camp Lejeune, it was like if if we were at Wilmington, I did not miss it. Whether it was the men's or the women's, so it was kind of nice. And then Elon came in later at, after we left, so um, that was kind of a nice trip. But um, but yeah, and and you know, um, I'm curious your co-ops. What did you do at Drexel, and and how did they help you too in your career? Uh, yeah, my my co-ops. Um, my first one was just to get a job and get get a co-op, get a, get some uh, experience, and I. I worked for a HVAC company doing just, you know, the intern normal type of things. Um, but my second co-op was, was the big one. Um, I was able with my brother getting a full-time job in NASCAR around that time, he was able to work some contacts and get me an internship or co-op, um, with Petty Enterprises. Um, so I got to come down, um, and spend the six months 
in North Carolina. I live with my brother um, and, and then work full time for Petty Enterprises doing all of the co-op and internship type stuff. Um, so that really was the, the, the big one for me. Um, and then um, going back to from my third one, I stayed in Philly and, and worked for a, um, a railroad engineering company. Um, which was a pretty neat experience as well. Got to travel a little bit and work on 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 some rail yards and stuff. Um, but yeah, that second one was was the big hitter for sure. So then, and, and walk me through, you know, kind of you know your first job at NASCAR and and how'd you get it and and what were your what were you doing there? So, um, like I said, I, I got that internship with Petty Enterprises. Um, got to know quite a few people through that. Um, you know, made some good contacts. And then when I graduated Drexel, didn't have a job or anything. Um, and decided, Hey, I'm going to move down to North Carolina. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, find a house. And, uh, luckily my, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now was on board with it. Um, she decided to go to grad school at UNC Charlotte so we can be in the area. Um, you know, we both, picked up and, and moved down to North Carolina. I didn't have a job. She didn't have a job because she was going to grad school. Um, so we were kind of, you know, wondering what was going to happen. Uh, moved down, went to a bunch of shops, passed out resumes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and nothing happened. And a month or two went by and I'm like, I need to get a job. So I went to work for FedEx loading trucks just to get some money coming in. Um, and still, you know, after I got done at the FedEx loading the trucks, I, I drove around to some shops, called, made some phone calls every day. And then finally one day that phone rang from, from a guy I knew from Petty Enterprises, the, the general manager there. And he said they had a position open to do, um, data acquisition. And I was like, sign me up. When do I, when, do, when can I come? Um, and the shop happened to be, it was about 80 80 miles one way from where I was living at the time. <laughs> so I, I signed up, got my, and drove 80 miles, which was about with traffic. It was about a little over an hour commute, um, each, each one way each day, but I was happy to do it. Happy to get some experience. And, um, yeah, I was off and running from there from Petty Enterprises. Yeah. I didn't know that part of the story. That's, that's pretty cool. You know, like I, I hauled my wife down to North Carolina and so I know what, you know, what a, you know, and, and I mean, we were in Eastern North Carolina kind of in the armpit, as they used to say, you were at least at a more urban area, but um, that's a huge transition. I had a job though, when I went, so for you to go down there and really not know what you were doing is you know, pretty amazing. And then just being willing to work at FedEx too and do what you had to do. That's cool. Yeah. I basically just took the, took a leap of faith, and, uh, you know, cross my fingers and hope it worked out. And luckily it did. So what were you doing for the team? You said data acquisition. What did that entail? Yeah. So, um, several years ago we were, you NASCAR teams were allowed to go test at, at tracks. And when you go test, you could put, um, various sensors on the car, um, to get travels, uh, suspension travels, driver input, steering, brake, throttle, um, accelerations, um, all kinds of different sensors, uh, temperature sensors for the tires, um, a bunch of different sensors. So, so my job was to, um, get those sensors, put them, install them on the car, make sure they're working with the computers, uh, make sure we can download the data. The data looks good. Um, just anything, anything data and sensor related, 
um, go to the tests and make sure everything's working at the tests and, and get the data for the other engineers to look at. Um, so that was my, my job. I, there, we had two data guys. One was a senior data guy, and then I was the, the junior data guy. And then after a year, he left, and then I became the, the senior data guy and the trained the junior data guy. It's just kind of how the cycle works there. Um, move your way up a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's essentially what I did for Petty's. And just so we're on the same page too, you know, Petty Enterprises being the the team owned by Richard Petty, seven time champion. So, um, you know, they, they're not necessarily one of the dominant teams, but certainly a team that's been able to hang around, you know, for a number of years. And then of course, you know, you're not going to get a more famous owner than Richard Petty. So certainly a cool team to work for. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a cool team to work for. Um, definitely got starstruck really quick when I saw him the first time, but that quickly went away when, uh, you know, he comes over, talks to you, he'll, he'll, he would walk around the shop and say, Hey buddy, to you, everybody talk to you, you know, talk to the people on the floor. Like he was a, a really good guy to work for. He, he cared about his employees and, um, it was really cool to be like, Hey, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder talking to Richard Petty, you know, um, one of the most famous, um, and successful drivers in his NASCAR history. And here I am just graduated college, you know, standing there, you know, talking like we're, we've been friends for years. Yeah, that's cool. And, and hopefully, yeah, your, your hard work paid off quickly, it sounds like, but, and then, so I, and I know you, um, you shifted at some point, um, you know, to a different team. How long were you with Petty and then where did you go next? So I was with Petty for two years. Um, and after two years, um, what was known as Petty Enterprises um, essentially shut down. They shut their doors. Um, they closed shop. They laid all the employees off, um, and they merged with another team and and became um, actually at Petty Evernham, Evernham Racing. And then they switched. Then they merged again and became the, what you currently have today is Richard Petty Motorsports, RPM. Um, so that team went through a couple different sales and mergers, um, but from Petty Enterprises standpoint, they laid all the employees off except for maybe a few high level managers and, and um, business people. But all the all the, the um, ground level workers were all laid off. Um, so we had to go do the whole unemployment thing and sit and, and go hand out resumes again. And, um, you know, I sat around again for for a couple months um, trying to find a job, searching around. And, um, eventually the general manager from the new general manager from that was at Petty Enterprises went to a smaller team called Front Row Motorsports and something had opened up there and, and he had me in mind from, from when I was at Petty Enterprises and he called me up, um, offered me a job they needed. They basically needed an engineer who can run, um, one of the test rigs at the shop but they also needed somebody to do um, tires and set the tires at the racetrack, but they only had money for one position. So they offered, they, they told me I'm going to be a shop engineer during the week and then travel on the road to, to do the tires at the racetrack. Um, so when I was in need of a job, so I said, sure, let's do it. I never did tires before, but I was willing to learn and, and, I, and I went and, and picked that up and um, did that for, for about a, I did the tires for a year at at um, at Front Row Motorsports, and then after that, they transitioned me to race engineer. Um, so I went on the road as a race engineer, which the race engineer is the guy who sits next to the crew chief. 
Um, the crew chief makes all the decisions, but the race engineer feeds them all the information, um, does all the calculations for them, does the, the fuel calculations, the fuel mileage. Um, for, you, for those of you that don't know, um, race cars don't have fuel gauges to tell you when you're, you're empty. You have to calculate it based on how many laps you did, how long a lap is, um, what your RPMs are, how, how much fuel you think it should be burning. Um, and then you have to calculate how long, how many laps you can go. So there's, uh, they're doing all those calculations is basically what, and running simulation, which we didn't really have a very good one at, at front row at the time. Um, but doing race simulation as well. So I got to do that for a year. Um, what is race simulation? I got to ask. So race simulation is basically, um, making a, a lap on the racetrack on a computer. So not a, not like in video game sense, but like you can see if you run a lap, you, you, you put in, you build the car on the computer, um, put all the suspension points, um, you know, the spring rates, all the things, all the d different things we have to adjust and put in the computer and this uh, simulation program. And it, it essentially spits out um, curves of a lap. You, you see a lap of what the, where the drive, where the throttle will be, what the accelerations are, what, what your, you know, what, where the brake would be, where, how fast you're going to go pretty much. So you can make changes in the simulation, change a spring rate and it'll say, Oh, that's going to be better or worse. Or we use the, we use the term tight or loose, um, which if you're tight, the car, when you turn the steering wheel, the car won't turn. It kind of just still goes up to the wall. You keep turning the steering wheel, but the car is going to go up to the wall. It's, it's pushing up to the wall. And that's what a tight race car is. Or, or a loose race car is the opposite, is when the back end wants to come around. When you turn the steering wheel, and the back end wants to come around. So, um, you know, we, we adjust that those metrics to, to try and make the driver happy and make the best lap time possible. And the simulation is is just a, a computer program that, that tries to tell us and simulate what's happening on the racetrack. And, and I remember you telling me in the past at some point, but you're, when you talk about the, you know, how tight these measurements are and, and how specific things are, you're weigh, weighing these cars to pretty much the ounce. So the weight is to the pound, um, okay. but we make adjustments on, on suspension, um, things like on the old car, it was about a 32nd of an inch was the smallest increment we would do. On this new car that we have, um, the new generation car that we just ran this year, we make adjustments of like, like shim and move parts down to like five thousandths of an inch increments. We have different shims that, that build stacks up to a tolerance of five thou. So we can go and make a five thousandths adjustment and it'll affect how that car handles. That's insane, actually. Yes, yes, cool. it is. <laughs> um I'm picturing it too. So when you were on the pit box, any, you know, stories of like a, you know, recommendation you made, like, Hey, make this adjustment. And it made a big difference. Anything like that you can remember? Um, for me, when we were, when I was on the pit box, um, we were, um, a very low budget team. So we weren't very competitive. We were actually, um, running used tires, um, as opposed to other teams running brand new tires like for the whole race, we were running used tires. So we were, we were out there just trying to make laps. And if we finished in the top 30, it was a good day. So, um, we were a very, very low budget team. Um, that team had just been starting out They're they they're still in existence now front row is, and they've progressed 
quite a bit. They've actually won a few races now. So, but at that point in time, it was the, the owner had just gotten into the business and he was just trying to put it together and, and, and um, see how he could do. And, and we went out and we did the best we could with, with what we had. Um, but it's a very, very money driven sport. Um, the more money you have in research and development and to buy better equipment, um, that the better you're going to do. Um, they're trying, they're with the new, um, generation car they have right now, they're trying to equal the playing field on the parts and the pieces that we can't, a, a team can't go out and develop a part, um, a lot better than, than some other team and, and make it go faster. Um, but there's still the teams with money still have, have more man at manpower to, to try and make it go faster. And so I guess that's where putting a piece of helicopter tape on the nose might make a big difference potentially. That is correct. There is. <laughs> that, I'm not going to tell you that. Yeah, I won't take you down that road. I know we're trying to keep you out of the NASCAR hauler, but the, the backstory of that, and, and we got home from Pocado on that Sunday night of the race. And I think I had ESPN on the bottom line that the, the two Joe Gibbs racing cars were disqualified. Denny Hamlin, who won, and Kyle Busch was second because they put helicopter, was it helicopter tape, I guess is what it turned out to be. Yes, yes. Helicopter take, tape is basically just thick, clear tape. Um, it's like a thicker, clear tape that that's kind of that's pretty strong and, and adhesive. Yeah, and it is. And in a sense, it's like a lot of people are like, "Well, big deal." But like what you were saying, and what I heard from other people is, yes, it was. Is but it could could because the adjustments were so small. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like um, when you're going that fast, when you're going 180 miles an hour, aerodynamics is huge. And any little bit, like we call them uh, aero trips. Like you can put like a little flap of tape to stick out and make, it just makes your, your nose a little bit different, the, the shape of the car a little bit different. And it really affects the aerodynamics like more than you would, you would think. Um, and you know, having, having one, one edge that's supposed to be a square edge, if you put a piece of tape in there and round it off a little bit, it changes how the air flows over that. And, and depending on what you're trying to do, maybe gives you more downforce which is which pushes the car into the into the track and lets you be able to turn faster because it pushes the car harder into the track and lets the tires work more and you can get more grip going through the corner so you can hold more speed or if you're trying to if you're some other things if you're trying to reduce you trying to reduce drag which um, is an arrow term for basically you're slowing the car down if you stick your hand out the window going down the road and you hold your hand flat you feel the air pushing back on you right um, oh, but if you turn it sideways, it's going through the air better. It's, that's pretty much the effect you get. Um, and any little bit helps when everybody's in such a tight window. If you get a little bit of an advantage over somebody, that helps. So that's why that, that helicopter tape deal, it did, does make a difference. So, um, you know, I've had the – Jesse, you took me around the shop uh, a couple stops ago. And, you know, Nate, you, you were around more recently in this current, current spot. But uh, one thing that – shocked me obviously when i was walking through was just um there had to be uh, you know um for two drivers i think at the time there had to be 14 to 20 cars probably you know on the floor being built up or broken down and you saw everything from literally a frame with four wheels to kind of race ready and uh, these are of course nascar this is the stock car racing right so um you know you're, you're driving a chevy uh, right now um but how much of it is a chevy how much of it is mandated by NASCAR and how much of it is kind of up to the owner and, and, and where does that work out with the new car? So, so with the new car, um, 
Uh, most of the pieces are all of the pieces have to be bought through NASCAR or a manufacturer NASCAR approves. Um, so we're all buying the same pieces. Um, so the chassis, um, the chassis, which are the frames essentially are, are all the same. Um, the suspension components are all the same. Um, the big differences between manufacturers are going to be your engine. Each manufacturer has a different engine builder. Um, Chevy has their own engine. Chevy actually has two different teams that build engines. Um, and Ford has an engine builder and Toyota has an engine builder. So engines are a big part of the difference, um, that you'll see between cars and then the body shape, um, the shapes have a little bit of difference that you can kind of see what they're supposed to be. Um, but it, it's all, they, they take, they spend hours, um, and they by this year, I mean, NASCAR and the, and the manufacturers spend a lot of time in the, in the wind tunnel to try and make the shapes have resulting aerodynamics that are the, all the same, but still kind of look like what, what kind of car they're supposed to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, they're, they're trying to get, a competitive race, put it that way. They're trying to make every kind of make everybody be the same, but still say, "Hey, this is a Chevrolet. This is a Toyota." It's more than the Camry sticker that's on the back of the Toyota, right? Um, essentially, but you want it to be competitive. Now, I'm curious about that because um, when you say NASCAR is normalizing points a little uh, parts a little bit, um, are they? Do you feel like they're taking the engineers a little bit out of the game? They're trying to make it more about the the drivers uh, as they try to centralize everything. Because at some point, there's there's math, right? Like you guys all kind of kind of can run the same math for the same tracks, get the same, you know, this is not like a subjective field, whereas the driving is probably a little more touch and feel, but I'd imagine there's a lot of other things in play and I'm kind of curious as to what that is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, they're, they're taking a lot of the research and development out of the team's hands. Um, for one of the reasons was um, because the bigger teams with more money could put a lot more development into making each little widget that much better than the other guys um now they're kind of taking all that development out of the team's hands and now nascar's just putting out a part this is what you get and they give you a tolerance that you have to work within with all the different parts so now instead of us having to try and design better parts and um and things like that now we're just trying to say all right for this specific application at this track we have we we can move this this part you know, a quarter of an inch forward and that's within the tolerance. And now that's going to make us better here, but at, the, at a different track, it has to be a quarter inch back. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the engineer's role now is trying, we have to stay within their box, but try and make it as efficient as we can within their box. We can't change the box anymore. Where in the past you could, the box was all different kinds of shapes. And now it's, now we have a box and we have to stay within it. And they're really strict about, not changing changing the parts. Well, I'm asking, you, you know, I, I think it's interesting too. I haven't heard about, or, or as we're talking to you about some of the the challenges that you faced. And I know, um, yeah, I, I was wrong about that with Petty. I, I forgot about that, how that team kind of got shaken up and everything. And it's gone through changes. But you were also at Michael Waltrip Racing. And then more recently too, with Chip Ganassi Racing, you know, selling, um, you know, you, you've, you've been at the center of some tough times and some team changes. So were those similar situations? You kind of found yourself unemployed and, and how do you keep yourself, you know, motivated and together in those situations? Yeah. So, um, like we talked about earlier, when, when Petty Enterprise shut down, um, that was, that was a tough time because that was, I was still relatively new to the sport. I didn't know, um, how everything shook out. 
Um, and I was actually without a job for, for a, a month or two. Um, and then going from front row, um, I went to Michael Waltrip racing and that was actually, um, I got offered a job from a guy I knew, um, which was a step up from what I was doing at front row and to a better, more competitive team. So, so I, that was, uh, that was a ch- transition I made, um, by choice to go to Michael Waltrip racing. Um, but then when I was there, um, after a few years, um, that team shut down and when they shut down, um, they found a buyer, um, from Chip Ganassi racing that, that bought a lot of their equipment. And they also, um, had first dibs basically on the employees if to offer the, all the employees of Michael Walter Bracing or whatever ones they wanted to try and pull over, um, offer them a job. Um, and luckily, um, for me, some of the guys that were at my, that were, um, at, at uh, high up in Michael Walter Bracing, um, recommended me to the Chip Ganassi guys. Um, and they, they looked at my resume and did a couple interviews and then decided like they were going to hire me. So I knew, um, before the end of the, before the end of the season that Michael Waltrip racing shut down, that I had a place at, at Chip Ganassi. So that one, I had, a you know, about a month or so of uncertainty, um, while I still had a job. Um, and then we finished out the season and about a month before the season was over is when I, I knew that I still had a, I had a place at Chip Ganassi. So, so that transition wasn't as tough. I was able to, um, you know, <laughs> kind of concentrate on, on, on moving forward there. Um, and then recently last year, last off season, um, or last summer, um, Chip Ganassi got us together in the summer and said, Hey, I just sold the team uh, out of the blue. And we had, we had, we had no idea. He was, he, he said he wasn't even looking to sell. He just got the right offer came along and we're all just staring at him like, well, what does that mean for us? You know? And, and they're, they're they said they're trying to figure it out. Um, the new owner, um, uh, of the team that the bought, that bought Chip Ganassi racing, um, the team was called track house racing and the owner, Justin Marks was, um, he came and stood in front of us and told us that he has a, vi- he had a vision. Um, he wants to bring, he wants to try and bring as many of us from Chip Ganassi racing along with, with his vision to, to track house. Um, and, and he, he offered and over the next month or two after that, um, people from Chip Ganassi racing, um, several of us started getting offers to, to work for, to stay on as track house employees. And again, luckily I was, I was one of the ones they, they offered a job to, and I was really buying into, um, what, what Justin was offering. He wanted to, to have a culture change in the, in the shop and the environment. Um, by that, I mean, at Chip Ganassi racing, it was strictly focused on performance. We were, we were job related, you know, it was do or die basically, um, Chip wasn't around the shop very much. He didn't come around. He was, he was up top and, and you didn't see him much. Um, where with track house now it's, they do a lot for the employees. Give us, you know, track house Tuesdays. We had a mariachi band for, for the Cinco de Mayo come in and they gave us a taco bar. You know, they just, they, we just had a, a team hockey game last week, you know, out in the out back. They, um, they took us, uh, skeet shooting, um, a, a couple weeks ago as a team function, 
and and he's just and we see Justin and and some of the other the, the high brass are always around the shop talking to you. You know, they they just want it to be the way they formed it. They said it was they want trackhouse racing to be a get to job instead of a have to job. So you want, you get to work there. You're happy to work there instead of, I have to go to work again. You know, you one of those type of things they want to change and, and they're really doing a good job of doing that. And, and actually I think that's part of why that's a major part of why we had so much success because people enjoy going to work. Now they're willing to go that extra, extra mile for, for the, to try and get a little speed and, and when the boss asks you to do something, you're like, hey, he's got my back. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'll go help him out a little more. So I, I think it, it's definitely helping. Are they hiring? Like, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like the model. I mean, that's you always, uh, you know, I, I, not, I'm going to be in the Penn State health hauler. I mean, if I'm too careful, but like, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just that that's what you want to hear out of your leadership and you invest in your people and then you get results. I mean, that's what it sounds like is what's going on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's he's definitely definitely looking out for us. You know, he's he's um he's always looking to expand the company. Um, Trackhouse is not just uh, a racing team. He's got he's got other investments in other sports. He's got a golfer that's part of Trackhouse Racing. He's got um one of our one of our um, investors or partial owners is actually Pitbull. So that's pretty cool. And he came to the shop one day and gave a speech, and and then that was that was actually that was really awesome. Like to hear him talk, talk to us, and like he just he just let it rip, and it was it was pretty motivating. He that guy knows how to motivate people. Um, and then you know afterwards he he came out and he signed autographs with everybody and took pictures with everybody. So it was you know it, it's kind of cool to have that other aspect that that our owners going out and trying to do and expand and in, in other areas and bring in more, more fans and, uh, um, and people more, get more people interested in, in our sport. We finally cornered the direct dragons cast Drexel basketball, NASCAR Pitbull fan. You know, uh, both of them that are out there are thrilled right now with this podcast. Uh, does, does they have a, a team doctor there? Would they, would you consider the position? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> they, we, we have, um, we have uh, like a physical therapist, a trainer type type spot that they use for the pit crew, but that that's about that's about it on that side. You may need to pivot, Nate. You may need to pivot. <laughs> well, I just uh, the day you took us around, you know, Justin Marks was there, so it was like um, Justin, right? Why am I blanking on that? Justin Marks, yeah, correct. There yeah, yeah. yeah, no, he was walking around. So just like you said, and he's with his, I think his kids were there, right? You know, so it was like a family thing too. So, yeah, no, for sure. Just, yeah. It, so I and, and I just, and I, I'm gonna throw out this. I wanted to put this in somewhere too. My we sent autographs to a bunch of athletes and race car drivers. Well, athletes are race car drivers, but and actually, I think it was two days ago. Daniel Suarez sent back our photos. So if you get an opportunity to, I, I don't know how often you see any. I think you said they they're in there lifting weights and stuff. Not that he cares, but um, but we really appreciated that. And um, you know, the kids will put it in their book. So just all, all I'm saying is, yeah, you don't have a race team to root for. And I like I'm by a committee since the Earnhardt's retired, but a lot of reasons to root for Trackhouse, and certainly because we have you know Drexel connection in there too. That's why I started following them and and I put a plug in for that too. I'm curious too. How is how is your role with the race car evolving as this was you're changing jobs and what are you up to now doing for for Trackhouse? Um, yeah, so like I said at Petty's, I started as a, the data engineer, 
And then I talked about how I went to the racetrack with front row um, at Michael Waltrip Racing. Um, I ended up being uh, the third race engineer um, at Michael Waltrip Racing. And, and that was essentially a stay at the shop position, um, which is what I wanted at the time. I wanted to get off the road um, because going on the road meant leaving on Thursdays, flying out on Thursdays to go to wherever the race was that weekend, working all weekend, getting back late Sunday night, and then having to go into the shop for the week. Um, so um, at that around the time I went to Michael Walter Bracing is when we, we were starting to build a family here. Um, so I had my first child there and at that time, and so I really wanted to be at home um, with my kids, and, and I wanted to keep that um, going now. Like I, I sit – like I, I'm really thankful that I don't have to travel now because I, I can spend the weekends with my, with my family. I coach their soccer teams, you know. I, I do do all kinds of stuff with them, and and, and I don't want to miss out on that. Um, so I'm thankful that I, I get to, to stay in the shop. Um, and what I do, um, I started at a Michael Waltrip Racing, and, and I kind of do almost the same type of job at, at all the way up through at Ganassi, and now now at Trackhouse, being the third engineer. Um, I work on the setup plate, which is when the, they assemble the car, they put all the parts on the car, and then they put, send the car to the, we call the setup plate. Um, and we, we actually measure the car and put it to the settings that the crew chief and race engineers want for that particular week. So every week we send a brand new race car, um, a brand, brand new, newly built race car to the racetrack. Um, after the race, it comes back and gets torn apart. All the parts get looked at, and then it gets put back together to go to a different racetrack. Um, but we have about seven cars per team, and um, we kind of cycle through them. So each week, we're building. We're always building a week or two ahead of everything. So as the as the race teams are at the racetrack with the current car, we're back at the shop getting the next week or two's cars ready and set up. Um, so we put. We, we measure the car with, um, it's called a ferro arm or some teams use a Romer arm and it's a coordinate measuring machine that you basically it's an, it's got a point on it and a little trigger and you touch different places on the car and it builds the car and the computer. So you can measure exactly how much camber or caster or toe, um, the car has, and then you can make adjustments accordingly and, and really, really get it to what, what setting you want. Um, so I help. I, I, I helped our mechanic on the setup plate uh, dial that car in to what the, what the team wants. Um, and then once once we get it set to that, we do a, me- a really thorough measurement of the car. And I import that into our simulation program and basically make the real world match the simulation world um, and get the simulation file ready so the race engineers can can do what they need to do to make the, and make the adjustments based off of that. Um, so that's that's pretty much the majority of my role is to, to help help set the car up and then get that car into the simulation world. Yeah, I'll ask two questions. Uh, one, which will get you in trouble, which is, would you like to be back on the road someday? Uh, at this point, no, no. I mean, maybe way down in the future, but even when um, even when we didn't have kids. I, I'm one of the few people that actually like to spend time with my wife. I know, I know that's that I'm in the minority there, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, even, even when we didn't have kids, I missed being at home and being able to, to go to the movies with my wife and, you know, do things like that with her and, and spend the weekend with her. So, um, 
at this time, at this point in time, I, I don't, I don't see myself wanting to get back on the road, but you never know what'll come down the road. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll get the itch again. Um, but I get my fill working on the cars in the shop. So I'm good there. I, uh, this is a rare podcast. I can fact check because I have lived with you and your wife. So yes, yes, that's correct. Um, he's not just putting it on a show. Uh, although, although, uh, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't blame anybody for saying it, but, but you mean it. Um, and then, uh, I guess uh, my other question was, uh, do you have a favorite track? I have, do I have a favorite track to watch or work at? <laughs> I, I think you could, you just ca- cause yourself two problems. Uh, yeah. Watch or work at, um, let's see to, to watch. I like, I like watching short tracks like the, the Bristol's or I used to like Martinsville, but Martinsville hasn't been really very good races lately, except for this past one which worked out really well for us. But um, we're getting there. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, the short tracks. Dover was always a, a fun track for me because I grew up going there. Um, but yeah, and then uh, working at there was a handful of them that that were nice. Daytona is always fun to work at. Um, although when you're working there, you're in the garages. And a lot of tracks have, have this now. They have windows into the garage where the fans can walk by and watch you. And they just, like, while you're doing, you're working on the car, the fans, you feel like you're a zoo animal. You know, they're just, the people are walking and pointing at you and, like, just, you know, pointing around. And, and you're just kind of, you're, you're just walking, doing what you're supposed to be doing. But people are just kind of watching you. So um, that's always neat to see the people, that the fans come and, and, and enjoy that. I want to close on on that. We'll get there because I want to do fan experience and talk about that for a minute. I got a very unique experience because of you uh, back in 2017. Um, And and I think that's very interesting. So I want to dive into that at the end. Um, So I guess my my other one I I had for you, obviously, new team this year. Um, They have tacos, which is great, and mariachi. But I don't know that you, you did you have any idea going in that you would be this successful this year? Uh, No, no, we, we didn't. I mean, we. We always had the hope. Um, we knew um, Ross had Ross Ross Chastain is our driver, um, and we knew he had potential because when we put him in the Xfinity Series a few years ago, he raced. I want to say four races and won two of them, maybe, and had a chance to win the other two. So we knew he had the talent, and we knew how hard of a worker he was and how much time he put in um, to try and make himself better. So we knew we had the potential in the driver. Um, Daniel's had Daniel Suarez is the other driver for our team, and he's had success. And he's been through some some rough patches with some of the smaller teams and and even some of the bigger teams. But he's he's an Xfinity Series champion, um, so he won a championship in, in the Xfinity Series, which is kind of like the AAA of NASCAR. Um, and uh, and so we know he has he has the talent too. So so we saw the potential. Um, we knew we knew Ganassi at Ganassi. We had won some races when we had Kyle Larson as our driver, and and with Kurt Busch, um, and even a few years ago with Jamie McMurray. Um, so the potential was there, but being such a new team, and and never really having success, you know, we were we were we were hoping for the best, but not expecting to be running for the championship at the end of the season. I mean, that that's our end goal for for everything. But realistically, we, we did not expect to be there. And then once the season got started, we saw how successful we were. About a quarter way through the season, it was like, hey, we, we, we got a real shot at this thing. We're, we just keep up the hard work, and we got a real shot here. Is there more pressure going into next year? And then, I'll, Nate, I'll turn you loose on Martinsville, I promise. Um, 
Yeah, I, I would say maybe there's a little bit more because last year we, we kind of surprised everybody last year. You know, nobody really thought of us as a threat until hey, halfway through the season we're you know, we're we're out running the bigger teams. You know, going into next season now, everybody knows we're here. Everybody knows we're coming and, and we're good and they know we're one of the teams to beat. So you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna jump out and surprise anybody. And that reminds me, were you with Ganassi? You said Jamie Murray. Were you there the year that they won the five hundred and that sort of thing? Had you gotten there to that point? No, I wasn't there for that. Got it. Okay, I was trying to place the, the time frame on that, but but just to go back and again, I, I the thing biggest thing I left when I when you took us around the shop, and again, I, you're a nice guy, but just for people listening and their sake, I mean, it, you're kind of like the guy like if you're playing Syracuse and you have to figure out how to break down a two, three zone. Like you kind of figure out how to do that before the game. So like, and as a kid, and this is the extent of my technical NASCAR knowledge, you know, I remember playing with wedge and uh, you know, camera and whatnot. And it's like, if you don't get that right, it's like driving in the weather today, you know, when you're trying to make a turn in the ice and you said a loose race car, I mean, that's what it can feel like versus getting around and, and qualifying on the pole or winning the race. So um, I mean, it just, it was just, I'm walking around. I'm like, I, I was like, wow, like you you made it, you know what I mean? So, and, and then it's cool to hear how you've, you know, kind of persevere, persevered through the things that you have. And I didn't know, you know, again, starting out at FedEx and doing what you had to do. So I just want that to be clear to people, you know, kind of what you do and everything. So, cause I know you're a nice guy. You're not going to say that necessarily, but, um, but now we may go a little over here, but I think this is important. So, I was going to set the stage, but um, so tell us about the Martinsville race and I guess kind of setting up, you know, what was at stake? And and I was, I, it, it takes a PhD to lay out the playoff system, especially to people who don't know, but what was at stake, what was going on and, and tell us how that went down. I'm really curious, where were you when the watermelon crawl or hail melon, whatever word, where were you when that happened? It was that type of moment in the history of NASCAR. Um, yeah, so, um, let me, let me backtrack there. So this was for the, at Martinsville Speedway, the, it was the second to last race of the season. Um, the way the playoffs work in in NASCAR is they do, um, three races at a time. Um, and basically the points reset every three races and they eliminate, eliminate people. They start with 16 cars and eliminate four cars every three races all the way down to Martinsville where they eliminate four and then there's only four left for the final championship race at Phoenix. Um, so with Ross Chastain, our one car, um, we were one of the eight cars left at Martinsville. Um, so um, you get points for where you finish in the race. Um, we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. There's stage points, bonuses, and stuff you get for that. But coming down at the end of the race, um, we were – we were monitoring points, of course, um, to find out where we, if we would transfer to the to the championship race or not. Um, and coming down to the final, you know, final couple laps, we kept telling our driver, "Hey, we we need two more positions. If we get two more positions, we'll transfer. If we don't, we're out." Um, you know, so we we kept telling them and giving them an update, and we weren't making any progress. You know, and um, you know that last lap. He comes down, goes through turn one and two, which is the first set of corners. Um, and then on the back stretch, he came on the radio and asked if we still need spots. And and our crew chief came on and said, yeah, we still need two. And then the next thing we know, we <laughs> he, he's 
passed about four or five cars going through the turn 80 miles an hour faster than everybody else. So for those of you that haven't seen it, I, I think it even made ESPN's top 10. Um, but what he did, usually at Martinsville, getting into the corner, when you go into the corner, you downshift and you brake. Um, sometimes you don't downshift, but you, there's a braking zone, a heavy braking zone. Cause it's a, it's a tight turn. So you brake hard getting into the corner instead of braking at that point, he shifted to fifth gear, which is the high gear, which you never touch at Martinsville. So he shifted in the fifth gear and, and matted the gas all the way to the floor, went up to the wall, just put it in the wall and rode the wall video game style around the wall, passed, passed about four or five cars and, and, transferred because of it um never seen anything like that in my life um nobody nobody in racing has really ever seen anything actually pulled off like that um there's been a couple other kind of attempts at it but nobody has ever done it um and if you watch the video the replay of it it doesn't look real the, the amount of speed he had going around the corner um compared to the other cars and just the luck that he had that both tires stayed up. They didn't go flat. Um, there's a little jut on, in the wall that he could have hit that and it could have kicked him right back across the racetrack. You know, any number of things. When you're going a 150 miles an hour riding the wall, scraping the wall, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Um, I think they, they said he was pulling. You know, I can't remember how many Gs he was pulling, but it was to the point where the fighter pilots type of type of G forces he was experiencing going around that corner. It was he he said he started to get that tunnel vision, you know, that you, you get when you're starting when you're pulling that many G's to black out. And he's like he's he's glad he it wasn't that much it, there wasn't that much more of a corner because <laughs> that's all he had. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty cool pretty cool to see. Um, I was, uh, when I, I was watching it from my couch, um, I had my, my work computer open and, and I communicate with guys in the pit box. And, um, I, I also watch, um, we, we have a, a data system called SMT that all the teams get and we can watch that. It's basically shows us the throttle break of all the drivers. Um, it shows their GPS position in relation to the track. And I knew we needed positions, and I was watching that because it's usually there's not there's no delay on the SMT where the TVs always lag behind. Um, so I watched the SMT on the last couple laps, and I saw I saw him go up into the wall. But it looked like he went up into the wall on on the on the SMT data. And I I told my family that was with me. I was like, oh, we wrecked. He overdrove the corner, and I started walking away. And then I looked back at my computer, and I see him sitting next to um, Denny Hamlin, who was five spots in front of him at, when he went into the corner I'm like how did that happen did he, is this the cool down lamp what what happened here and then by that time the tv caught up and i watched it on tv and i just sat there with with my mouth open in amazement of what what i just saw and i was like i i think we made it and i told him nobody like my wife and kids were with me and they were just, we were all just like like we weren't screaming we were just nobody said anything because we didn't know what we just saw that's kind of that kind of layman question, but kind of what speed do you normally take that corner at? Uh, about 80, 80, 90 mile an hour. And, and kind of what did he what did he end up taking it at? Uh, I think he was around one forty, one fifty ish, and it's uh, a, and then, 
yeah, for those who haven't seen it, right? I mean, it's basically, there's no way, I, I don't know if it would be your tires or, or you physically with the steering wheel, but one way or another that you can't make that turn at 140 miles an hour physically. It's, there, can't there's be done. no way. The, the you essentially use the wall to support, to drive the car. You use the wall to drive the car. You know, you Correct. Know, I don't know if you let go of the wheel, but um, did uh, not, I, and I guess the follow-up is, did you guys break down the car? Did you guys keep the car? What, what? The car, the car is sitting in the shop right now, where the fans can come and see it from the glass, like from their from the fan zone in our shop. It's been sitting; it's it's still together. We had to we had to take a few things out of it, um, like the driver comfort stuff, like the air conditioner system and stuff out of it. But the car, for the most part, is how it came back from the racetrack. It's sitting, it's sitting with that the right side of the car, which is the side that rode the wall, facing the window that all the fans can come in and see. And if it's even a slow day at the shop, our receptionist will let the fans come in and actually walk around the car and touch the car and, and see it for themselves up close. Um, so it, it's sitting there. It's There's been talk of that car going to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely a special, special car because nobody's ever seen anything like that. What is the right side? I mean, did the tires are the tires toast after that? Did they, did they end up going down or – does it actually survive fairly well? Um, pretty much the entire front suspension is broke. I don't know how he steered it back to the garage. Um, the right, the whole right front of the car, the, the suspension's all like it's it's broken half, um, and the whole all the body's destroyed. The, the tires that are on it are, are different tires now because uh, it's just so we can roll it around. But yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty destroyed on the on the right side. I guess that actually brings up a question I hadn't thought of until now, but you know, was there an element of zone safety that was kind of at risk by doing this? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's one of the things that, uh, why nobody's ever tried it before. Cause basically you're just saying, I'm going to hit the gas and drive into the wall at 140 miles an hour. You know, that's, uh, there's a lot of G forces at play there and, 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 you know, wrecking a car at 140 miles an hour, even with all the safety that hurts. <laughs> Yeah, and that was, uh, you know, one of the unfortunate controversies, and it shouldn't have been a controversy, but, and it surprised me, I, I love Kyle Larson, because he comes and races at Williams Grove, you know, which is, you know, I can look out my window and pretty much see it, and I forget the word he used for it, but uh, basically, he he said he didn't like it, and there are people, a few people here there that criticized it, you know, and saying, should there be rules that, you know, yeah, you, you can't essentially just not lift and turns even though carl edwards did it one time and larson did it himself i forget which race it was um but it, it yeah and it's like you know i i if i were i would be i mean and, and you touch on a little bit that you got a cool group of drivers they're both kind of underdog drivers kind of cast offs from other places and um you know i thought I, we were sitting in turn one and when i was watching christopher bell win because i like him i want to get pictures of him and admittedly, I kind of, I, I, I say it, I gave up on, on Ross because I was like, you know, Hamlin passed him and was really moving up. You know, Hamlin was was really good on that last restart. And I, I was listening to Ross on the radio a little bit, but even I got to the point, you know what, he, unfortunately, he's not going to make it. So I focused on, you know, Christopher Bell. And so Christopher Bell finishes. And then next thing I see is Ross Chastain, you know, come into turn one and he hit the wall in one and two because he was going so fast. And then, so I, so I was like, he must, you know, Denny wrecked him or somebody ran it sort of like you said, you know, you just thought that, you know, he wrecked in one and in three and four. And then I, I think we, somebody must've said, Hey, did you see what happened? And 
then we looked on the video board and, and it's like, oh my God, you know, and then I, I, and I, I just don't want to, again, I want to minimize how, how amazing a moment. I mean, you're talking like, and I'm sitting here thinking, how do you compare this to another sport again? So people get it. Um, I mean, you're, you're talking almost like a Hail Mary, one of those Hail Mary passes in college football. I'm saying Doug Flutie in the Orange Bowl. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Base. I'm trying to think of baseball. All I can say is we went to the World Series two days later. And I think I, I think of this as being just as memorable, if not even even more than that. And uh, it's something that NASCAR fans are going to, you know, one of the greatest finishes, you know, and, and then what was on the line, you know, to make the playoffs and everything. So I walked out of it. I would run, a, run through a wall for Ross Chastain. I mean, just amazing what he did for you guys. Um, but what was the reaction amongst the team? Like after it happened, it was, it was all like, just, I can't believe what I just saw. Like everybody, like we all, like I was, I was texting and calling the, the my coworkers that work in the shop. I'm like, did you just see that? Like, like we were all in amazement. And like the next day at the shop, that's all we talked about. You know, when he walked, when Ross walked into the shop, you know, everybody gave him a round of applause and was cheering for him. And like, you know, just like, like, calling them crazy. Like, you know, like, Hey, you're, you're crazy, but man, thanks for doing that. You know, that was, that was awesome. And like, you know, he's, <laughs> it was just an unbelievable feeling and atmosphere that, that did the next day at the shop. And I don't, you know, obviously seeing it in the replay is I, I regret not seeing it live. I saw like kind of the aftermath uh, but seeing it was amazing. But the, I think the numbers, we were driving to New Hampshire uh, and I listened to the Dale Jeter download. They have Steve Letard on and they went through the numbers. So like you guys were talking about how fast was he going, the G's he pulled, and then he broke the Martinsville track record by what, like two seconds or something like yeah. that? Yeah. So like you just hear those numbers and it really kind of hits home, like how ball, like ballsy, gutsy, whatever word you want to use that was. So, and he did it for his team. So then yeah, if he's got you know got guys like you that you know um, you know again fighting through adversity and everything, I, I like to think he was thinking about the people he works for, and you guys deserved it. I mean, that was just that was amazing. So yeah, yeah, for sure. And one last point, all I can say is like it was one of those things. So I they took my son down, and you know, I got his picture with the car in the background because it's you're just sitting and it's like yeah we were we were lucky to be there, and then you know and really excited to hear your perspective, and then. I, Drexel plays Elon on a Saturday. Last year, we made that trip and went to Richard Childress Racing, the museum, because they have like all of Earnhardt's cars. Are you guys open on a Saturday? <laughs> uh, usually, no. No, and the shop's not open on a Saturday. <laughs> so I was but, thinking uh, yeah, we, that would be our side trip to an excuse to go down to Elon is to shoot down uh, to your shop and see that car. Because we went, we went, part of why I wanted to go to the Hall of Fame that weekend was see Bubba Wallace's car from the, you know, that, that he won in, at, at a Talladega, but that would be a cool car to see. We got to see it, you know, on the track, but seeing you guys are letting the fans experience that too. That's really cool. Yeah. That's one thing that, that our new ownership again is, is all about like making sure like we take care of the fans. You know, like I said, if there's, if there's nothing going on, like the, the receptionist will, can possibly show you around a little bit, take you a little deeper into the shop. Or, you know, if you happen to know somebody, you know, we're, we're allowed to give tours to our family and friends that, that come through. Um, we can really take you into the shop and then show you around. So, and I think, um, so, so I'll put a bow on it to start with you guys, but, um, you know, again, my, my first and only NASCAR race to date, and I'd like to do more, uh, it was, was 2017 and it was my bachelor party, uh, which, which Jesse, you attended 
while working. Um, and uh, it was a Pocono. Um, and uh, two things really stick with me from, from that weekend. Uh, a lot sticks with me from that weekend. But uh, the, the uh, two things that we from, from the race, uh, we went to practice and race day. Uh, one was, was seeing Nate. Uh, Nate, I think that was the first time I saw you since you uh, deployed to Japan. Um, so it was, it was, I didn't expect to see you, uh, uh, that day. So it was very, very cool to see you, see you back home. And, and that was a really, really cool way to, uh, to be able to see you and catch up with you again. And, and that, that was, a, it was a thrill for me. Yeah. I was, uh, and then take it home from here, but yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I was, I got off the plane from Seattle after I got stuck there getting out and then went straight to the racetrack. And then I think it was that Saturday that I bumped into you guys. So yeah, that was, that was cool. You were like some of the first people I saw being back home from, from being in the Navy. So it was neat. It was neat. Thanks Jesse for that. Cause this uh, wouldn't happen otherwise. It was, it was a cool, cool thing. And then um, just the level of fan accessibility that we had, we had a little bit extra, but uh, you know, even not, if you come out for practice, if you come in, if you get, you know, uh, I want to say it's a cold pass or something like that, something where you can, uh, where kind of a, a layman can get. And I don't think it's that prohibitive. And you can go in there and you can see to what you point, you talk about the Daytona and some of the others now where it's, you, it's kind of a zoo, it was glassed in, but even then the garages are there and they're very accessible to the fans. You know, you can, you can really walk over and see the cars with, uh, and there was, I mean, hundreds, thousands, maybe, I mean, fans down there. So it wasn't like it was super exclusive um, to be able to do that before the race began. And, you know, you, you realize that you guys are putting months of work into this vehicle and specific for this track. And you're getting to be down there with it and see all of them before the race. And, you know, I, I'd liken it to like, you know, an hour before game time, being able to walk in the dugout in Major League Stadium, you know, uh, the level of what you can see and do and how fan friendly NASCAR has become, uh, how much they're doing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really clear. It's just I, I know other sports that I've been at like that where you kind of got free reign, um, not entirely, but they, they give you as much access as I think they can give a common fan and. Um, not only that, but you can listen to the radios during the race. So you can, you can be at the track and you can have the headset and you can listen to the teams. So you know what's going on. You know, it's kind of like if you had Spiker mic'd up and you had, you know, headphones in the stands, right. With, with, with your coach, like it's, it's just, it's a cool, very unique thing. Um, and, uh, I hope, I wish, um, you know, other sports see what NASCAR is doing to really cater because it's a business. And, and they had been losing fans for some time, um, you know, um, as far as coming out the tracks anyway. I don't know what the TV ratings are like, but as far as actually coming out to the tracks, right? So, um, the, you know, they were trying to make it, find different ways to make it more approachable, and they're doing it. It, it felt just so cool. Um, and it's why I want to go back again, 100%. Uh, haven't done it yet, but um, certainly intend to. Um, so, so um, yeah, this is my, my notice to anybody listening who, who in other sports or for those of us at Drexel who are listening, um, you know, anyway, we can, this is, it's, it's essentially, you know, go up, go on the court pregame and take some jumpers and just make sure you're clear by 15, you know, by the time teams come out for warmups, you know, is, is how I would liken it. It's what the NASCAR experience is. And it's, it's very neat and uh, very approachable. And, and I hope other sports kind of get on board because it's, it's pretty cool. So that's what I have. Um, um, yeah, that was, that was just my last my last note there. But I know uh, I'll yield to the guys, the gurus here. If you have any ways you want to close this out, Nate. Yeah, no, Jesse. Thank you very much for taking the time and and you know again, really, it was a great tour you gave us. My wife, of course, being from Hazelden too, and I, I don't like to bother people. And 
I had said to her, I'm like, yeah, you know, Jesse had said, if we're ever down there, you know, to let him know. And she's like, well, you know, let him know and let him know we're down here. And, and then, yeah. And then you gave us like this, this whole tour of the, the whole, I'd never done that before. It was really cool. And all the years I followed NASCAR. So really appreciate you doing that for us and then taking the time tonight. Uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem guys. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, for having me on. And, uh, and I hope we, we got a couple more NASCAR fans at least to maybe come out and see a race. Like Dan said, um, you know, watching on TV and being at a race is very different. When you're at the race, you can you can feel the horsepower, it, the the noise, the atmosphere um, is is just it's it's unmatched. Um, so yeah, I encourage you guys to, to check it out. At least give it a chance. Um, I know you stick and ball sport people out there. Um, a lot of times, just say we're going around in circles, but there's a lot more to it. And and even if you go to a race and do a little pregame and then party in the infield. There, there's some heck of parties going on, going on there for uh, for the pregame. So, um, you know, just come for that and then watch the race and, and and you'll like it. Yeah, it's a great time. We talked a little bit last time about soccer. Dan can back me up. I've hated soccer for years, but now I'm at a point where I'm trying to fit the uh, World Cup game into going out for the Drexel Penn State women's game. So we grow, we evolve, we learn. And Jesse, you gave us so many perspectives, whether it's a technical aspect or, you know, again, just the craziness of what, you know, maybe you're at the race where Ross Chastain, I mean, that, that was unique, but something close to it, you see something like that. Yeah. Give it a, give things a chance. Don't be an idiot. Don't be closed minded and who knows what you might find. So Nate, I hear that you are trying to uh, drive from Mechanicsburg to Philly, watch the world cup, record a podcast, and catch a basketball game all before four o'clock on Sunday. And I'm reminded that all three of us have wives that are incredibly understanding individuals. Um, they, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't happen without them. Let's put it that way. And, and that was cool. To, I, I had a job when I moved and you didn't, but so many cool things about that. So again, thank you very much. And um, so anyway, thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you guys soon. It's been an absolute thrill. Thank you, Jesse.